You're listening to Mike and Kristen. The podcast. I'm Mike, a musician, writer, and producer. And I'm Kristen, a painter, writer, and designer. Our show is all about following dreams, taking chances, and what life as an artist is really about. Together, we bring you weekly guest interviews and thought-provoking conversations. Let's go! Kristen Ray Harrington, we're back from California, from three different cities that we trekked around, wore out the soles of our shoes... How are you doing? I are my eyes open? Uh not right now. No. I'm doing great. I feel just very content and fulfilled with the last month of our life. Yeah. Also feel like I'm I'm at about like a, maybe 13% on the battery. 13. Mm-hmm. You work right until zero though. <laughs> yeah, it feels that way. When your phone's 13, it works just as good it's as when it's at 100. It's, but you can still send text messages. So yes, yeah. that's where I'm at. But You just yeah. don't want to take too long videos. Yeah, this intro can only be 13% worth uh, of output. <laughs> no, we can still do an awesome intro for Dustin Harvey. Yes, we can. <laughs> who does not have a cell phone. So oh. this is a good analogy for him. He's just at maybe at 100 all the time in that case. He doesn't even have to worry about it. That would. Do you know anybody else that doesn't have a cell phone? Uh, I don't think so. Yeah, see? I love this about him. He's old school all the way. Just... He's, a, he's a super cool and interesting guy. This is one of, this is a kind of a different interview from a lot. And Dustin's been on my list of people who I've wanted to connect with on the podcast, but any opportunity to learn from one of the greats really should be taken advantage of. So I was really happy he made time for us and said yes to being a guest. Yeah, I love chatting with him. We we never really chatted with a theater person yet. And it's just a super interesting world and the way he approaches his ideas and tries to involve or not tries to definitely involves people in it it's uh it's these interesting concepts that have these multiple ideas and just they're 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 deep deep concepts audience participation is always a top priority for dustin his why he's one of those artists that really starts with the seed of an idea and lets it bloom and blossom with time and fills it out. And it becomes just, we're not super immersed in the theater community. We have friends that are in theater, but from what I, Dustin's like the top of his game. He's the guru in these parts. Uh, And you'll hear me refer to him as the Yoda in this episode, which Mm. I've known him for almost 15 years and have always called him my Yoda, my mentor, and to others as well. He's he's able to keep his calm, but he has this wisdom about him that just seems to be so natural. And it's the place that he creates from. And so someone who has just that organic way of thinking, I find so fascinating. And I'm, I sit on his board. I'm always the one that go to the, goes to the meetings early so I can have just a bit of one-on-one time and mm. maybe pick his brain about something. And he's always gracious and sharing any wisdom he has, which he did today. It was a great conversation. And yeah, we're we're back from uh, 
10 days on on level 10 of excitement in <sighs> different different cities different it was a 10 out of 10 trip yeah yes how are you feeling what, do you want to talk about a highlight or five highlights um <laughs> five highlights okay one seeing the national in an outdoor amphitheater in san diego it was very cool yes one of our favorite bands they yeah. were incredible uh two the lakers game mm-hmm. that was on our last night there and never really i had been to one nba game but it was in the very top row at uh Boston Garden, and I couldn't even see the players or what numbers they were. So we could didn't... decipher some faces. In yeah, this game. we were we were in a seat that was so far away that they were just blurs. You know, they were they were real people there. Mm-hmm. And LeBron James did end up playing. Yeah, there was a moment where we thought, oh, we've come all this way, and we're not even going to see. Yes, he's in his twenty-first uh, season. Just crazy. But he played, and he rocked it. And yeah. he's not that much younger than us. He's like a couple years. 38. Yeah. And he's, well, he's, he was still one of the best players out there. And I found, I like basketball. I, I'm a sports fan as well. But I found, even if you're not a sports fan, being somewhere, watching somebody perform at the highest level is always fascinating. Like I could be at a chess tournament or a darts tournament or a basketball game and would feel this way. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, yeah. Get, we'll get to the darts thing another episode. This is a little Easter egg. <laughs> yeah, anytime people are the best in the world at something, it's amazing, even something you don't understand. Yeah. And basketball is something I've done my whole life. So, yeah, seeing the best players in the world fairly up close, surrounded by a bunch of celebrities is pretty cool. Very cool. Yeah, loads of celebs there, so everybody was happy. What's one of your highlights then? Oh my gosh, well, those definitely were. We we got to visit our friends. Jen and Johnny. Jen Finnegan, she's the lead actress on CBC's Moonshine, and her husband, Johnny Silverman, uh, he's he's Weekend at Bernie's, most, one of the actors from there. Most famous for yeah, being a Weekend I at mean, Bernie's. I mean, they're in lots of other things, and I, I only mention that for the sake of context, but they we got to visit our friends. They're very sweet and took us out for Mexican food. And I always find traveling to a n- new city, when you are able to connect with people that live there, it's always a better experience because you see yeah. parts of the city that you never would otherwise or get to take us to the hidden gem restaurant where they treat you really well because they're regulars. Yeah. So that was just a really fun way to start the trip. And yeah. and we also made some new friends in San Diego yeah. on our subway ride home after the concert. Yeah, that And was... they invited us out for drinks and we, we closed the bar down with them. That was super cool. Yeah. Scott and Dakota. That's right. So we've got we've got buds in both cities now. We're we're friends online with them now, and mm-hmm. yeah, we'll we'll reach out to them soon. Yeah. So the I mean, we did lots, and we ran into Tommy Green Jr. in yeah. San Diego too. Former podcast guest just happened to be in San Diego when we were there. Yeah, and we what had are the a, odds? His cruise ship rolled in within half an hour of our bus rolling in. Yeah. So Halifax took over. Yeah, we had a fun <laughs> night, just kind of. Just walked around the waterfront, but we found this cool spot and this orchestra started to play off in the distance. Yeah, this outdoor orchestra performance. And he's just such a sweet guy. We went out for some food. And I mean, we also went to Disney World and like it was just a wild trip. Every day felt like something really special happened. So, mm-hmm. but I always like to 
to mention the people that we connect with that, yeah. that we did because that always makes it more fun. Oh, the the people are the most important part of it all. Like you get to just share these experiences with people or learn from people or just, yeah, just see how they react in different scenarios. That's what That's what it's all about. And then our trip home... Our flight even was an adventure. Leave it to us. Yeah. So we were hosting, speaking of theater, uh, we were hosting a double header theater performance at Togetherland the day that we landed. Our good friend Stephanie McNamara, who has been a guest a couple of times yeah. on the podcast, had written and per- was performing a one woman show, and I was doing the interview portion with her. And we had like a three hour layover and something in Toronto, but our flight got delayed and then delayed again and delayed again from L.A. So we ended up in one of those movie scene moments where we got off our first flight that had been delayed and the Air Canada rep was like, there's not a chance in hell you're going to make your connection and was ready to hand us a new boarding pass for like two days from then. Yeah. And we're like, you have not seen two determined Nova Scotia artists <laughs> with the show coming up, run yeah. through an airport before. And we ran until, well, I thought I had a chest infection by the end of it because yeah. <laughs> it was actually everything we had in the tank. And that connecting flight, by the grace of God, was delayed by 30 minutes and we made it with about 30 seconds to yeah. spare. And we got an Instagram message from someone. <laughs> I don't know how they knew <laughs> who we were. Right. Like, you guys ran by me in the <laughs> Saw airport. Saw you guys running like mad from the airport. <laughs> oh, my backpack came open and stuff was flying like out. 10 and, times. Oh, we were sweating. And anyways, we made it. The show was brilliant. And that's why I'm at a 13% today. Yeah. <laughs> Just catching up, but with a very full heart and uh, a lot of gratitude for this weekend too and For everything that's happening with the podcast, we got some exciting news while we were away about the podcast, too, that we'll share on a future date. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's uh, just dive into this episode with Dustin here and uh, hear his wisdom and, yeah, his his, this great conversation. Sounds great. Thanks for being here, friends. I feel like I'm in a therapy session now. <laughs> Dustin's going to make notes about my body language. <laughs> Assess us, Dustin. <laughs> no, no, there's no, uh, no judgment. There's no judgment here. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> Hardly. Well, this is great. We're, we're excited to finally have you in the studio. You've been somebody on our list for quite some time that we wanted to reach out to to have a chat. And it worked out that we had to make an exchange today anyway, so... The timing and logistics were in our favor. Yeah, it, it, well, it's happy. I'm, I didn't even know we were rolling, so I'm happy to be here. You're like, this sounds this, like something got more formal. I think we're it, it, was a in shift. podcast mode now. Yeah, <laughs> We're in the zone now. Yeah. Do you want to do a breathing exercise or something to really ground us into this? In I've been doing one recently. Started off with, uh, do you know any breathing exercises at all? I, I, I do know a few yeah. breathing exercises, yeah. But uh, one I one that's pretty common is the four, seven, eight. You, you breathe in for four, hold for seven, release for eight. But I, I've been upping it, so I'm at uh, six, 18, 12. 
And that's... Uh, 18. Yeah. Do you worry you're going to pass out at any point? If- no. It's uh, the hardest part is just on that exhale. Sometimes you just don't have enough enough in you to get it out. But it's a few rounds in, and it's, you're 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 in the zone. Yeah. Well, you know that's uh, that that style of box breathing. That's what Navy SEALs do before they yeah. go into. That's what I'm. I'm basically Navy SEAL. <laughs> <laughs> is is there research that shows the longer that you? are doing that the better for you? Like if you're holding your breath longer, is there more benefit to it? Uh, the What I'm following now is a particular protocol that's supposed to just increase lung capacity. So this wasn't where I started. This is where I'm at now. And okay. then once I get to a certain point, it'll be further up. It'll be a longer hold, longer exhale. And it's, uh, it's based on the deep sea divers, you know, the people who can go like, really far under for like eight minutes or something uh apparently they're like the most relaxed least stressed people in the universe Hmm. so this guy who created this protocol is kind of trying to create a larger lung capacity because all these people who have a capacity like that are just incredibly calm people Hmm. and it's to, to try to get those benefits i guess Cool. So has it, have you, have you, has it benefited you? Have, do you feel more calm now? Yeah, I feel like I have, actually as a singer, I feel like my lung capacity is just better. Like I don't have to take as many breaths or I can take a bigger breath and sing for longer on that. So in terms of just the physical side of things, it's, it's beneficial. And yeah, I guess when I, when I really assess things, it probably does make me calmer in general. Did you learn breathing techniques in theater? Because this is kind of now more in the wellness meditative industry, mm-hmm. but I imagine this is a technique you've been familiar with for years. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, I trained as an actor, so we did voice and speech and yeah. breathing is, I mean, acting is breathing. Mm-hmm. So even when you're in character, but yeah, so we did tons of, of breathing and humming. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> you're uh, 20 years in, is that what I heard recently? As a, a theater company? Yeah. Secret, so Secret Theater sort of has been around, I guess, informally since 2003. Yeah. Um, and then formalized kind of in 2011, more for the granting system. But yeah. Secret Theater all started sort of with the um, really after I, I had done this uh, workshop after theater school out in Calgary with High Performance Rodeo. And they, were, they had a, a theater there called the Big Secret Theater. And they were interested in this idea of secret theaters all across Canada. And so uh, in Halifax here, a friend and I, uh, my friend Elling, we decided to make a show with Wind Up Toys. Um, and uh, we decided to maybe do a parody of Waiting for Godot and call it Winding Up Godot. And uh, that was our sort of our first secret theater show. Um, mm. And uh, and it almost got us sued by the Beckett State because they don't, <laughs> they don't like people messing with their uh, their text. And so that's when the work really, that's why we called it then after that secret theater, because yeah. we were we had to be more secret. Ah. <laughs> I didn't know the story behind this. Fun. <laughs> were you doing like secret shows? Was that part of the appeal to it? Yeah. So in the beginning we were like, we would say that we we're doing a show. We would often not say exactly what the show was about or anything about it and have a meeting location. So we just meet up and then take you into the show. It, that's how we produce work for a couple of years, but, um, but then sort of slowly 
people wanted to know what the shows were. Right. What am I getting myself into? <laughs> but I love the idea of like an audience trusting, just trusting kind of like that we're going to do something interesting. So showing up and that really, I mean, that's kind of, I think even to some extent, the work that I do casts its audience. And that's one way of it casting its audience is, you know, just the kind of language and the style in which it, in which it tries to tries to be. I went to one rave in my life in the early 2000s. I was living in Vancouver and you would get a flyer and all it said was you're going to get picked up in this windowless van at this location. So that's what we did because you're 20 and that sounds like a great idea. You get in the van and they drive for whatever it was, half an hour, and there's a bunch of people. And when they stop, they slide open the door and it, it is met with a door, an entryway to a building, but there's no space really in between. So you can't even step out and look around at your surroundings. And then this is the, the rave. So you go there and you're partying all night. And then in the morning is kind of the first time where you open up the doors to the sunlight and have to figure out where you are in the city. So they don't take you back. They don't take you back. Okay. No, you're just on your own. A challenge. But yes, it kind of, not that this is what your theater shows were like, <laughs> but that was my first experience with kind of the allure of having this secret location, which is very exciting, but I can also understand how your patrons might want to know, uh, yeah, where they're going to end up. <laughs> and did you feel that that heightened your experience then of the rave itself? It's it's hard to talk about heightened experience when you're 20 at a rave and, you know, in that environment. But yeah, it, it was part of the allure to it, certainly, like before arriving there. That was part of the, the curiosity. And I've seen people since. Actually, we were at a show not too long ago over at uh, in Dartmouth and someone was hosting a, a secret location gathering of some sort. And yeah, there's something curious about that. But you've always you've always looked for interesting locations, even if it's not a secret. Mm -hmm. Well, location from I mean, there's a couple reasons one why location's important. One is because of the lack of spaces that are to do work. So, location has to be part of the work itself. That's at least that's the approach that we've taken. So that's part of the language of the work and learning how to work with the location and and I guess bring it into the the conversation. Um, I guess it just evokes that idea of people thinking about the location itself, but also place is, is a part of, I guess, the themes of like being place specific and all of it comes out of like being specific to Nova Scotia or being specific to living here and, and taking something from that experience. But in order to find a way to make it universal or meaningful to audiences far away, it's actually counterintuitive because you think we would just try to generalize the material, but we go the other way. It's try to get as specific as possible so that those locations themselves could only be those locations and those places can only be those, those places. And the idea when you, that is a touring format is this sort of a process of how do you relocate things? So something that may seem like we're in a downtown storefront in Halifax and that's really specific to Halifax and this storefront and this city and these people we just take that process and then you put that on in a different cultural context or in a different country and just make it all specific to that street and that those that community and those people and that process of trans transforming and transferring things back and forth for me is um part of the reason of how do we make work that's about this place and yet make it you know meaningful to other people mm -hmm. at least that, that's the idea and that's why so that's why place has come up to, into it but in place i think I know it has a real like. It, no, that's why I kind of am curious when I ask if it heightens your senses because I do have a feel like there's something about the adventure, right? I mean, you're in the adventure of it and going to a new location and getting in the van. There's an adventure to that, and yeah. and 
I welcome the feeling of adventure and work. I want an audience to kind of feel like when they're with us, we're, we're going to go on a little bit of an adventure. So it, it's exclusive, and you're being let in on a, a little secret, almost like that's that's kind of I guess the appeal, and in my eyes. Oh yeah, and it totally feels that way going to one of your shows. Like you feel like you're part of a a special experience. Yeah, well, we've even tried. Like I mean, it's it, so. I think it's interesting you say that because also we've really tried to make the work maybe to a, a fault, um, but rare, <laughs> rarefy it slightly. So that's why doing one-offs and doing things, because I really believe in this idea of the ephemeral or this idea of temporary. And so, you know, they're gonna, we're going to do something for a small window and we're hoping you can make it. Um, but when it's done, it's done or it's gone. Um, so that idea of making the audience feel as special as possible comes back to this idea of what are shared experiences. And I think what theater does best is it brings people together for a shared encounter. Even if sometimes those shared encounters are between two people or one, like or a small group or, or, and even in some of the more experimental work between you and your phone. But this idea of, uh, that's why we're, we're constantly, we are actively working on that idea of trying to make you feel special. And even to go back to that secret theater, the, um, the winding up Godot piece, that was one of the premises because we wanted to like, we put so much work and effort into it. And yet we had a limited audience. We only let 15 people in there and it was all so we could just brag about selling out. So we could like put on the right. poster, sold out, sold out, because everybody <laughs> yeah. would brag about selling out shows. So we kind of wanted to poke fun at that. But when you were in that space, experiencing that thing, we wanted it to take on the feeling that you felt like you're really lucky to be there. And maybe that builds the persona of a show outside of the actual performance itself. So it lives on in an audience's imagination or in the stories people tell about it. And for our work, that is vitally important because that's we do it in order for the work to to live outside the spaces itself. You know, it almost becomes folklore at that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this conversation after of we were there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, with the exception that now I sort of think about this idea of like it's kind of like <laughs> is it really going to be that important that anyone's going to think about it after? <laughs> like there is a, there is it's problematic that premise, mm -hmm. but I, I you know I love the the, the feeling of it. It, it seems like creating these moments is really special to you and being in the present in that exact moment is, is a focal point of what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, like I, I wonder, I guess even like, I wonder how much of it all is about bringing us into moments, right. To yeah. sort of like disrupt us or take us out of sort of, whatever the story that we've been telling ourselves that day or whatever. And, and I think that's the power of performances. I think that's the power of music even yeah. like music does it really well because, you know, it, it has a, an emotive aspect of it as well. And, and so this idea of um, creating these little uh, disruptions or these little things that just bring us into the moment um, for me are, is what it's about. And all of that stems from, in a way, my, my feeling of how important, the actor is in terms of the process of all this stuff. Cause yeah. I feel like good acting is about being present, being in the moment and listening and responding. And, uh, and to me, that's why I put audiences in those moments. I'm putting those perspectives. So I'm, I'm treating audience members as if they're performers and pieces. Are you trying to create a separation for the audience from their, say daily life uh, we, we spoke about this with a, a guest recently how who was a musician 
how when people come to your show, like you're you're creating this this space, this moment, this this point in time where they can just separate from anything that's going on in their life, whether it's good or bad, but they can completely focus in on what's happening. And a lot of times people are able to, yeah, forget about their bills, forget about the asshole boss or landlord, you know, and they can just totally focus on what's happening in that exact point in time in history. And I don't know if that's something you consciously think of when you're doing it, but it seems like that's something you are creating. Yeah. I mean, that's an, I mean, that's an interesting reflection on it. Like I, I wouldn't, I, I, for me, I wouldn't pursue that yeah. directly quite as, as that. And I only say that because to me, escape is like the idea of escaping or the idea of getting out of, like, I guess it's just, that has not been the way that I've thought about it. Yeah. I think more in terms of like, like I really think what we're trying to do is dig into like maybe uh, like true. Like it sounds super cheesy, but the the truths or the honesty behind something, or just an insight. Like often, what I feel like what I'm trying to do is like I start with a feeling or I start a thing, and, and you know you're crafting it and you're molding it. But I'm really trying to crack some feeling or some pursuit of something, and yeah. and I'll, if I'm doing my job really well. I can bring an audience into that so that they see or they feel it's usually the feeling they can feel the thing that I'm trying to show them. Yeah. And that is to me, not an escape from life. Often it's, it's a reduction of stuff. So maybe, maybe I'm just saying in a different way, but this yeah. idea that the, 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 the daily, whatever, like all that stuff that sometimes that feels overwhelming. Um, I don't really want you to like, I want you to be mindful of that, but in the shows, like, I'm really, I'm really trying to crack, and this is also a very cheesy way of putting it, but it's how I even put it on the website. Mm. But it's like, it's, there's a beauty that we're after and it's a beauty in somehow in the shared experience. And, and that's what I feel my job is, is to try to get that and, and show it to you. And hopefully what it does make you feel, it doesn't make you feel escape from life. It makes you feel more life. Yeah, alive. It, yeah, it should. Yeah. And it may, and, and if I'm really doing it well, you, it should for a moment Re make you re-see the relationships, relationships between each other, the relationship between the city, the relationship between the street, yeah. between strangers. And if I can get you to re-see that, even if it's just for a second, um, I think that's super exciting. Yeah. Super exciting. I love that. I don't want to sound like I'm gushing <clears throat> because it can sound phony, especially in this environment where oh, we're having a podcast and we're interviewing somebody and we want them to feel good about themselves. But I have always just so deeply admired what you do, Dustin, and I've I've talked to you about this. Just I've called you the Yoda of of theater and really creativity. <laughs> and as a painter, it might sound unusual to be inspired by somebody who's working in theater because it's so different. Although I think we can all agree there are other aspects of art that fuel us and and inspire us. I'm just I've always been so taken by your thought process like even the way you're describing this now and wanting people to have these have experiences for me your approach seems to be about something bigger than just the artwork or just the theater and I've always been curious about you is that something that was taught is this something you've just had about you naturally since you were a child like the way that your brain works and and taking sort of this macro view on things is so unique to me. It's brilliant. And I, I just would love to learn more about like how how does it feel inside of you to, for it to be like this is just your natural way. This comes intuitively to you. 
Okay, well, I mean, there's a lot there. Thank you. There, there is. <laughs> I said I wouldn't gush, but I, I am a little, but I can't help myself. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate that. I mean, it, it's nice to also, like, I mean, it's nice to know that something that we're doing, like, like it makes some, like, makes you feel that way. It makes anyone, like, because I feel like often we're just making work in a void or we're making work, like, like I'm, it's so isolating sometimes the processes so it's always nice to sort of like get a reflection from the outside and be like oh yeah um that does that does make us feel good make me feel good about mm. <laughs> keeping going no just <laughs> but um i guess what i would say about that is uh my i guess in terms of my the why i pursue things the way i do i don't entirely know like i i do know though i did come up from a sports world i played a lot of sports mm -hmm. um and i would say that uh if i were to like pinpoint moments that were quite influential it would be some of the coaches i've had and you know particularly one of the soccer coaches i had who i know for a fact would always say things to us like um you know you gotta you gotta go further than you think you can go and we're talking about that pushing yourself on the field is what, what we're talking about but in those moments, doing those things and pushing yourself. And, and I guess I was just lucky to have experienced what happens sometimes when you go further than you think you can go and, and there's a good save or there's a good kick or something. And, and that feeling for me, like that would be one moment that was influential in terms of like, I think that's why I push, I push, I like, I'm not, I don't, I'm not always, I'm not restful. I don't, sit on something like in a like something that i feel like okay we've accomplished this good let's just repeat it we're con like i'm constantly changing because it's that for me there is a push there's a pursuit and there is a going further than you think you can go that i think is inherent in anything even small tasks that we do but certainly in creative processes or when you're pursuing a you know a creative project um and i think there's another like i think travel has been a big part of it i mean this is probably something you guys share but the idea of of when you travel, it reflects back parts of yourself or makes you re-see, you know, your home and your relationships. And I think traveling kind of early on for me um, showed me some, some, some truths or some feelings that I have about what's meaningful. And that has to do with family and friends and an understanding that, you know, you can be far away, but yet be very close depending on where you like if you're thinking about family or thinking about friends like this this I, to me those the, those concepts um are both what are in my process and what i'm pursuing but that you know the I, that should not be also be mistaken that i'm ever like for me the process is always relentless like it's always thinking about like i don't stop thinking about work and thinking or think about ideas is a better way to put it like so constantly thinking about like what is what is the next thing and, and how are we going to deal with that? And the, to me, the degree of difficulty in some ways keeps going up. Like, and that's the part which I wish I could change about the processes. So I wish I could just make things easier. And I joked about that. Um, like, you know, how I, I just want to make a play <laughs> and yeah. cause I do, cause the work's getting more in a way I I'm fascinated by it and I'm fascinated where it goes. And we're, I think we're making processes and we're making up stuff and, and, and it's really kind of cool from that point of view. But at the same time that like, so some of the, what you're reflecting on is maybe the result of a rigor, um, that we put in it, but it is, there's all that rigor that you're not seeing the, like, it's like the tip of the iceberg and below the water, there's all of this like real 
wrestling and, and, and rigor that has to take place just to get that little yes. bit on the top. I love how you, you brought up sports and all this because I often reference my, my life growing up playing sports as how I learned so many valuable lessons that carried on to the rest of my life. And I, whenever I want to do something, I, it's often just thinking back about how I learned something from a coach or from just a quote I read about Michael Jordan or whatever it may be. All, all I know in life is basically just about how to, how to work to get better at something from, from playing sports and how to have the balanced relationships with your team members and how that carries on to later in life. But I, I think it's definitely the most valuable thing I've ever done growing up because the lessons it taught me have taken me to exactly where I am now. And when something is hard, I'm able to just say, oh, yeah, I can I can push through that. I played a basketball game with a sprained ankle. I've done this and that. And it, it, it makes things easier to, to go through those things and have those those uh, those those lessons imprinted into you. Oh, heck yeah. Well, have you ever watched any of those, like, you know, those documentaries where you need to get these, like, big comebacks or something on, like, YouTube or Netflix oh, yeah. or something? Or, like, like, I've, like, wept at those things where, you, you know... Like, Underdog <laughs> stories are my, my jam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. 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 Yeah, the moving stories are the ones yeah. that bring you to tears. The, it, yeah, Underdog and also, too, like, I love... I guess I, there's something, too, about this idea of, like... I like the the big I like I, re, I appreciate big moments, you know. I appreciate yeah. these big moments and and when special things happen or or even in those mo those things too. It's like, I mean, I've I've been on a lot of I've been on, gone through a lot of losing. I've been on losing teams too and felt yeah. the other side of it. So I can yeah. also appreciate like to get something you want or like get something when yeah. you're going for it. Like how amazing that must like must be and you know. But that to me those in those sports stories like those things. uh I don't know. For me, those open up. I I get those. I get so excited about um, about uh, yeah. Does the big moment start with a small idea, and that's what you're pushing? Like, does it start with this seed, and you just want to see how expansive can I make this? Mm, yes, yes, and no. I guess it, I guess most of the stuff for me. I so the one of the basic principles that I work with, which um, I would encourage other people working with is this idea that something, first of all, I start always with something needs to move me. Like something has an effect on me. Like I actually have a response to it, like an emotional response to it, or there's something that's bothering me. Or, yeah. But that is for me, the starting point of everything. So whether that's big or small, it starts there. Now, usually the secret theater structure I work in, it's usually work in duos, like for the past, however many years it's been me and one other person. And, and I take something that, moves me and and that person takes something that moves them and we then have a lot of conversation to figure out how to entangle those ideas and then onto a, like a form itself and then that idea of having the conversation is intentional to kind of make it more horizontal so that we're both sharing equal responsibility so it's not like one person's leading more than another um that's kind of changed in you know the more recent years where i've i've kind of taken on more of the leadership and made the audience more of the collaborator and that's just because I'm experimenting and I'm exploring that those like that kind of thinking. Um, but that is where the the ideas usually start. And then it's about um, chasing or pursuing those ideas or flushing them out through iterative processes. 
So I'm a big fan of doing small tests, mock-ups, rough things, things with, that are around you and, and engaging responses to certain ideas, just even for yourself. Again, using your yourself as the barometer of like, is it doing something for me? Or And, and I'm always pursuing the one, th- like I want it to ignite my imagination i want something it has to get up into there for me to go like okay now we're on it mm-hmm. and that's what we're looking what i'm mostly looking for as I, I move to that moment but we're iterative testing right now on a new piece and and it's a interesting process because you what you think in concept might be really interesting and you might write about it until you get in a room and physicalize it you don't really know and i think that's what theater is an interesting as a medium because it's it has to be physical for me you have to you have to get out there and play with the ideas in, in a way that's physical. But yeah, that's you, what I'd say. You talked about, I'd like to just write a play. Like, so this, this, this would be just such a break. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so for anyone listening who's not familiar with how you are different, maybe what you do is is common in theater as far as it being other than a play. But is there a way to kind of describe how your work is different than what most might imagine when they think of going to the theater? Sure. I mean, I like to think that we're all using the same principles of theater. So there's there's text, there's subtext, mm-hmm. there's some kind of physical scoring or choreography or movement. Those things are all in play. I just sort of tend to exaggerate them or mix them in different ways. And I often am using sort of media or technology in the work. And I'm doing that... Um, sometimes for the thematic implications of it. Like I'll use cameras a lot, video a lot. And more recently I've dabbled in VR and AR work because that's just something that I was curious about. And for the one, two years we were in the pandemic, we couldn't gather in spaces. So we, mm-hmm. so VR and AR enabled me to continue sort of like, you know, exploring. Um, but in terms of those shows, what you, I mean, in terms of what you can expect, I mean, really every show is so different to be totally honest. So, but, it is theater in the way that there's going to be performance of some sort. Um, and there's going to be often a change of roles between who's viewing and who's performing. So there's exchanges. So it's really, I'm not trying to avoid the, the, the question of sort of what it looks like. It's just every show is different. So like, let's get specific then maybe. So a show that I made somewhat recently, how quickly things change um, is like a show that it's basically telling a story, the story of, you know, in my, of my life, it's like a hyper biography, um, and we're going to tell it through a series of really rapid costume changes. Um, there's no text in the show at all. The text is like really just in the song that Rich O'Coin wrote for the piece, and that's the only words we're going to hear. And we treat the whole thing kind of like a music video. So the audience is invited in. We cast the audience as the background actors, um, and then we set about filming it in one long shot, and then we play it back for everyone and we sit there and watch it like like it's like a little movie premiere that's that show um you know if you compare that to a show like alone together which is one of our newer pieces it's you essentially with your cell phone watching what it looks to be kind of like a tv show on your cell phone and then at some point it becomes interactive and you're talking to a digital human who's powered by like AI and you're carrying on the, you're carrying on this, this, the place of the main character with the the digital human. And then it goes back into the TV show that, you know, it's a completely different sort of situation, but to me, they're both the same. They're both theatrical and they're both employing theater in the same premise. So yeah, they change a lot. Yeah. 
No, that's a great answer. And, and, thing- and it's hard to describe when you've got 20 years of shows behind you, I understand. But I think for a lot of people, when they think theater, it's I'm buying a ticket, I'm going, I'm sitting in a soft-seater venue, I'm watching you know, a, a performance, intermission, performance, we're great. N- nothing like that is yeah. is ha- what the experience is going to one of your shows in my in my past. Yeah. So and I and the just to just to add to sort of that that feeling because I don't know if this helps at all understand some of the work, but like, in part of me does that intentionally as well because I mean obviously there's an interest or I'm trying to like ex- like experiment and push, but I'm, I'm like I'm not really I one of the things I kind of had a I, I kind of sometimes have a beef with is how sometimes form itself tries to sort of say that this is something and these other things aren't the this thing i it's always kind of in theaters kind of like a lot of forms i think do that but i think theater is one of those ones that sometimes likes to define itself and an audience likes to define it and my feeling about that is that that's kind of the same like i just don't i don't think people are like that i don't think and i think there's like there's like a diverse perspectives and and I think that that's why, to me, the forms, even blowing the forms out so that it's not, it doesn't have to be on a stage. We don't have to sit in the dark. We don't have to, like, wear costumes. And then sometimes we're poking fun at that. That's why, like, it's a costume quick change. That's a convention from theater. Like, that's a, like, the idea. I've been in part of quick changes. I've been backstage as an ASM doing quick changes for other people. And that idea is super theatrical. Um, but that, uh, that's, so to me, the, that's part of the thing is that I've, I've really kind of rejected notions that right maybe i'm just kind of maybe i'm <laughs> not very easy to get along with but i just feel like i don't like the idea of theater telling me what it is and that i has to be a certain kind of way i don't like it so um that's why our works not only try to be what allow them to be what they are but we'll often try to put the works in front of an audience and say this is theater like and so that an audience suddenly doesn't know what theater is then and then something interesting can happen because if you don't like you know what i mean because yes. then it opens up and it, and then it's like well how, if that's theater well can't this be theater maybe it can be mm-hmm. maybe it can be and and that's not to destroy the, the idea of theater there's places for that and there's an audience for it so it's no disrespect it's just to say to some of those audiences there are alternatives and that idea to me is where the philosophy of the work comes from because it's supposed to say you know what is the kind of world you want to live in? And that's why the work tries to create um, participation. It tries to create co-creation because we're trying to co-create a symbol for the kind of world we want to live in. That's why to me, the theater works, this, our theater works that way, which is also why I hope you can trust some of the times just the idea of secret theater and that like, if you trust our work, then you know, we're going to take you on some kind of adventure, but we we're trying to, we got you. There's a, there's a care involved and um, hopefully you, that's what makes people up for the, the adventure of what we do. You know? I think challenging the definition of theater is really important. And this came up for me as an artist just a couple of days ago in writing a grant application and meeting with one of the grant officers and him posing the question, well, is this art? Like this idea that I had. And I didn't, I still don't really know how I feel about him even asking me that because mm-hmm. I thought, well, it's a grant application for an art project. So yes, of course, I, I see it that way. But I think what f- drove him to ask me that question was that it's unlike maybe other artistic projects that they see come across their desk, which I see as a strength, but it is difficult. And Mike, you would go through this all the time too with music. Like a song is for the most part, quote, meant to be three and a half minutes and an album has eight or 10 songs and a show is 
in this venue, it costs this much money. There's an opener. Mm-hmm. Like all of these expectations are what you're supposed to be presenting an audience. And and like you're describing, Dustin, what I find interesting and exciting about your work is that it challenges that definition. The rest of it is like, yes, this big adventure. But for whatever reason, it's like it's the artist's job, I imagine, more than anybody else's to push these boundaries. But even in this world, like a couple of days ago, the person who might fund this project is like, well, this doesn't, though, fit in the lane of what art is supposed to be. I just found that so curious. Yeah, it's such. A, I find that a bummer that that's the way that a, a grand officer would do that because it's not really. I don't think that's necessarily their their job to challenge that idea. But I, just to say, that, so I'm I'm like I would offer that like, I mean, you do like it's why it's unfortunate that they would reflect that way is because. The truth is, is that there's um, like you pursue what what you find excites you, right? Like you you pursue that, and an audience, it, you, like you find the audience, it will, it will find its audience. That's why manifesting, putting things out in the world is important, so they can create a bit of a attraction to the work. But like if we judged everything just on like even a little small like reception to an idea, then you might not even do what you want to be doing, and that's why you have to even push it. Sometimes, like, and it's I know it's a it's a it's a puzzle sometimes because what I'm suggesting is, you know, you have to like sometimes just shut out some of that feedback and keep pursuing the thing that excites you and, and pushing it further. But sometimes that's what you got to do. And, and maybe the audience is spread out. Maybe the audience doesn't look like an audience that we normally have. Cause be, this is the, what I think is interesting in this shift too, is that like we've moved from like, depending on just a local audience to then suddenly your audience can become global or there's little pockets of audiences and like and the secret theaters work is weird. Um, well, we have weird audiences and I'll tell you there's weird audiences everywhere. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and once you start finding those weird audiences, what's the most amazing feeling of it is that it feels like they are, they are all a part of a group. And if, and I always, the, my bad way of putting it is always like, if we could only get everybody together for for a potluck or something or you know because it, it would be amazing because they're all very similar in a kind of way and they don't they haven't met any each other at all but i've met them and mm. uh, and and that and i think that's because we didn't we weren't satisfied with just the reception because if i said even how some of the ideas that like i don't know how i think there's a lot of resistance to some of the, the ways that i look at theater um so if we just relied on what is just in front of us that, you know, I don't know if we'd even do it, but it's the, put. you have to push it and find the, an audience finds it. So I'm just offering that because I feel like that kind of sentiment from that, is this art or questioning it? Just like the person who questions that, I, I feel like they don't, they can't think, this sounds really bad, but I just don't think they're not thinking big enough or they're not like, so that's why sticking to like, sticking to your guns a little bit or sticking to like, this idea of what is exciting you about it and maybe just honing in on that and, and, and figuring that piece out, mm. um, that takes care of itself and that takes faith a little bit that it takes care of itself. But Do you create yeah. with your audience in mind? Uh, how do you mean? Well, are you anticipating the i guess interaction with them like can you create an idea just i guess from scratch from just what you want to create are you always anticipating the reaction to that well i so it's kind of two answers to it one is that like 
I definitely involve I definitely involve audiences in that iterative process. So slowly I bring people into the room because I, I need audiences. I need to see their reactions and their yeah. behavior. So I test with audiences or I make small invited groups in uh, just to get gauge some ideas. But that being said, it was a while ago that I came to a realization the difference between making what you making what you think audiences want and making what you need. And so I really have moved to a place where I make what I need. So I don't anticipate what an audience wants. I don't try to, I, and because it, when I, as soon as I do that, I think of the audience as this general, like faceless thing. It just seems like an entity rather than a bunch of individuals yeah. that show up with their individual stories. So the way I try to connect to them is I, I make what I need. What, I, what do I need to manifest or what do I need to feel like? Um, is there, and that's to me where I'm hoping if I like, I'm hoping that it connects to the audience or to yeah. you and to you, like the hope that that's what I'm hoping for. And that's what brings the audience a bit together, which is very different than making what audiences want. And I understand that tension, especially with writing grants, especially when promoting or deciding which way to go, um, with a, with an idea. But I really, I really encourage more. They make what you need. I think if we make what I need and we construct based on ourselves, like finding that, then, um, then we find connection to the work more. Well, for me, it does. And does thinking, since you, you make your living off this, this is your, your career, so at the when you're creating an idea or coming up with a, a project, you obviously have to make money off in some capacity, whether that's ticket sales to an event or you're getting funding to create create this opportunity. Does... I guess, and I've experienced this myself too. Like I, I have to think of how this will make money in the end, because if if it doesn't, it's like I can't pay for a power bill or whatever. But I also want to create from for myself, from myself, and not have that influenced by those outside perspectives. But ultimately, it is there, and I, I can't ignore it completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think there were. It's it's an interesting structure. The two different structures that were that were in in a way because I, I one of the things I I think that music even does well is I mean I think music is is much better at can, like being an entrepreneur or having entrepreneurship. Like I think it thinks in those terms better than theater does, and or at least in like the majority of my stuff comes through like it's granting, and that's why I have a lot of gratitude, and I'm not I don't. Like I don't take for granted for a second that, you know, the, like I get paid to make shows, but that comes through granting systems and yeah. through peer assessment. So juries of peers and, and it's super competitive yeah. granting system. Um, but that's the majority of what, where I get to make stuff. And then we're always hoping to take work on the road yeah. at least a few times a year. Those aren't financial, huge financial windfalls, but that's probably cause I see, and that's, well, that's just part of because that's what the market is. Um, it doesn't, there's, it, it might be quite surprising sometimes how little money there actually is in, in sort of that, that touring game to some, to some folks who maybe just have a different perception of it. But uh, to me, some of that touring too, or some of that traveling, the work is part of the, the challenge. It's part of the adventure. It's like mm -hmm. part of like, it gives meaning to the work as if we're able to make it meaningful to people for a way. So I th like what I think is difficult in in theater and performance is bringing some of that entrepreneurship into it because the exchange is different. Like I think it's harder to 
get out there in a kind of way. It's it's hard. Like even if we look at it as ticket sales or that's what I'm in the business in, it's like it doesn't really fit. So so I guess I guess what I'm I guess that's another way of saying that. You know, that's one of the, the constant things that we're trying to juggle and balance. It doesn't make it easy. Mm-hmm. You know. I know a lot of your shows have audience interaction. Have you ever been in a situation where that wasn't received or the audience maybe didn't want to participate or wasn't expecting that? Has that ever been a challenge for you? Yeah, there's always audience, like audience members. And and that's also fair and comes with the, with the, um, the playing field. Um, and I can always remember like distinctly, like specific ones, like, like I'm sure like all the audiences that have really enjoyed it, you know, I, don't really remember those but i definitely like you know i remember there's even like even as soon as you say it i'm like oh yeah that, that one guy in Aarhus, denmark that did not want to slow dance with me um and so uh like and it stands out because it but it is like these shows that is the agency you're building into the pieces and there is like you know there is you like i i don't think we've perfected ways of, of those kinds of interactions the interactions themselves have changed and we've, we've figured out ways to um, onboard audiences smoother and to, f- to get you familiar with the languages of the pieces. But yeah, when that, when that stuff happens, it is definitely like you, like in the moment, like we've even had stuff happen during shows where like, like, s- like stuff is like really throwing us like we, cause we do stuff in public space all the time. Right. And so we'll do stuff where like, in one of our shows, we're like, I'm acting for a camera that nobody can see in this train station in Denmark, and and I'm doing a slow motion Hollywood goodbye in my underwear, <laughs> and, and nobody knows. <laughs> Nobody's in on until it the gang, <laughs> until the gang of teenagers comes up and starts like bullying you on camera, and you're like, like all that 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 stuff that kind of happens, and you know that an audience is watching it live somewhere, hmm. and it's a being projected in this gigantic screen and and so because you're acting out of a hollywood moment for them right and so those so there's so it doesn't always go as planned i guess is the, yeah is the point. <laughs> but you you try to negotiate it as best as possible yeah it's the chance you take <laughs> well kind of well that's yeah especially when you're allowing that into it you know but i i'd say the inspiration for some of that stuff just like is you know, is the one of the the groups I look up to who's an expert in this that kind of work is Gob Squad is a group that um they're a German English uh, you know collective and and they are an expert in sort of like you know how do we invite audiences into the pieces in a way that like you know has audiences doing um, remarkable things so they do it really well <laughs> so if anyone sees people wants to see anyone who does it well Gob Squad is the, is the group that does it really well where. Yeah, they've even had like they've done a piece where they're reenacting Andy Warhol films, and so they'll sub out themselves with audience members. So they literally get people on stage, like playing out. They'll put like a headset or an earpiece in the in their in their ear and give them directions and stuff. But Mm. they do it really well. Yeah. How did a guy grown up in rural Nova Scotia playing sports get into acting and theater? what were the early influences? <laughs> <laughs> well, my, my mom used to always put me in lip syncs. That's okay. um, <laughs> <laughs> true. Yeah. And uh, so I, from an early age, we would, in, in like... Like in, competition? Like, what do you mean yeah. in? Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> lip sync competitions. I didn't know they existed. Yeah, well, in Noel, it was a big thing. Um, so we'd, you know, we'd do some competition. Uh, so I remember that. 
Um, and that, I mean, to be honest, that was pretty, I played in bands, like I did yeah. play music. So that was, but in terms of performance, that was like, maybe as an influence. Cause I remember we'd have props and costumes and everything and yeah. we would win. So we were like, maybe that was reinforcing it. But then for the longest time, it was really just sports and, um, music. I played, you know, I played bass in a band and yeah. we, you know, we did, we did shows and stuff, we, you know. Like we never. Is this uh, while you're in high school? Yeah, in high yeah, school, like yeah. just sort of garage band stuff, yeah. and and you know we'd play shows and and uh, so maybe it was that, and then I like I transitioned. The transition for me was playing bass in Jesus Christ Superstar for the school mm. band. What we we're doing, and then the then going, man, I like to kind of maybe be on the other side, and so then in yeah. my, the next year, like being in Annie, and that was the real transition, and then after that. I went into musical theater and studied and did musical theater in the summer and went to Mount A. And even then though, it wasn't still like a big choice. Cause when I went to Mount A, it's a liberal arts school. So I was actually majoring in math cause it was, I, I was really good at math, but I was minoring in theater. And so that got a, got a chance to sort of play there. And I was doing a ton of improv, like mm -hmm. improv comedy stuff with the group called Sushi that was there. And, um, and so that to me is where it kind of really started. And I took yeah. the big jump after that to take acting. And it really, Acadia, if I hadn't really, I think, met Colin Bernhardt, who was the professor at the time at Acadia, I don't know really if I would be kind of pursuing it in the same way. And that's because Colin, I mean, the stuff that I'm talking about when I kind of go off in my, you know, theater is connecting people. That's mm. like, I mean, it, that is a direct, like, to me, that's what I identified in what Colin represented theater was much bigger than just doing plays for him. It was all about, um, you know, the ability for theater to heal theater to connect people. And that's always what was Colin's vision was seeing how there would be all these theaters that were connecting, that were able to connect people. And, and that to me, and the, that the style and the approach that he took to, um, to acting, that's the part that really hook in for me. Like when I, when I experienced that, then that's, kind of a clear trajectory where we're at now, except for when I went to theater school, which was the opposite of it, it was super businessy. Like I went to, like when I went to, uh, yeah, maybe I shouldn't get into talking about the names of theater schools. I'm not talk, <laughs> question them. But I would like, but when I went to theater school, my experience was radically different from that experience. It was one that was about managers and agents. And that makes a sense. I understand that. Um, that's the pressure, right? But it was certainly like the expectation was to come out of there. And, and I, think the expectation was that I'd have this clear acting like trajectory and I actually just went the opposite of it and that's why I went in that was classical theater and I was doing primarily Shakespeare and the classics and um and I was doing it in London and it was amazing and but I it, it gave me the feeling that we that it wasn't filled with questions and I was interested in, more in the questions of what theater is and what we're doing and maybe it was a little bit bratty but in any way I went the opposite direction of that what was the, when the, the vision, the dream first started to develop of you being an actor, what, where did you see yourself going? Was it like TV or did you want to be on stage? I mean, that's movies? probably a question I should have asked myself more. Because <laughs> I don't really know. Yeah. Why I am I here? Really know. I don't really know. And maybe, and I think probably that's what gets me into most of my like trouble when I'm into like getting into shows. Cause I don't, maybe I don't think about it. Uh, maybe you know I should be thinking about it more and what the long-term plans and goals are because yeah. I know that that's what my father said to me at one point was sort of like after th like coming out of theater school and being super broke and like you know it, it just kind of like 
He's like, oh, I thought this was supposed to like, <laughs> I thought this was supposed to, you're going to go and be an actor. And like, it, it's not that easy yeah. or it doesn't work that way or whatever. But, um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't really know. All I know is that the only image that I sort of had for it was, um, I knew that I liked, I liked philosophy and I liked numbers, which is why I was in math. And I had an image of like, of working with math and being in front of a book writing and figuring out problems and it felt super lonely. And then I experienced some theater and people were in a room. Mm-hmm. I would argue dealing with the exact same questions, mm-hmm. but doing it in a way that was immediate, that was a tangible, that you could feel something off of. That's all I know it is. I just pointed that to me was like, I want that. I want mm-hmm. to be doing that. So, and, and in terms of like, things that people I looked up to or whatever. I never really saw myself doing anything like in a conventional theater acting way. Like I have done those things before. Like I've been on film sets and stuff, um, doing small things, but like, Mm -hmm. and I love the idea of the production. Um, but I, the idea, it's too much tension for me to (laughs) Mm. most of acting, which is probably not a good thing to, to be if you're acting. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. What are your thoughts on, AI and creativity and art because I feel like we're kind of at the early days of how this is going to integrate into our collective worlds and you hear maybe some controversy or opposing thoughts on this and where are you at with with that being integrated into your work well we've I mean we've played with the AI for the past two and a half years in a way we play we were working with uh like the GPT stuff before chat GPT. So we were working with when it was like GPT three in three point five. So before it became four and, and Chat GPT, and that's just because it took us so long to to work on the project. You know, so that's what we were experiencing then. But I saw for me, it was a tool that gave that I was I was just really intrigued by because for me AI provides a unique sort of autonomy and, and gives the audience a certain kind of agency that it's hard to do with other kinds of mechanics, performance mechanics. And an example with that, with that would be like uh, uh, decision trees. Like if you were to use a piece and create decision trees mechanics where you offer an audience a point to make a decision and they either go A or they go B, you're still kind of funneling them into a pretty narrow pathway of experience. Whereas with AI, you have the ability to set up an idea for it to be responsive and not only just to be responsive, but responsive to whatever you want to input to it. And it can offer certain different, a multitude of, so instead of just A, B or C or something, it can have the capacity to handle whatever you want to, wherever you want to go. Um, And of course the skill is trying to like get the AI to maintain characters or get AI to still nudge you towards something. And those, that's just a, um, sort of a mechanic thing that you need to, to work on. So for me, that, that was the immediate curiosity because it provided me that tool. Like we had a show called Landline where it was two audience members texting each other, like two different cities. And it was always tricky because you had to like organize, when you perform the show, first of all, you had to book two shows and then you had to schedule your audience so that everyone had a scene partner. And logistically, it was just very like intricate and you didn't have a lot of uh, contingency. So suddenly you throw AI into one of those sides mm. and, and suddenly for a piece that's super small, you have this gigantic capacity. So that that's what mm. was super exciting about exploring with it. After playing with it two and a half years, I, I understand people's concerns sometimes in terms of AI's capabilities, but it, it's so limited. Like when you really get into playing with it and we've made 
like we were making AI models to to maintain characters. And when you experience that, you experience, oh, well, this AI is pretty actually, it's not as sentient or it's not, a, it's not doing these things that people think it's doing yet. Who knows what it does when it has more data to, to pull from. Um, so for me, it's not intimidating in that point of view. I could still, and I, my interactions with it and working with it, it's still the creativity, the concept and the ability to flex the ideas is still coming from the human. And I think the part that's surprising though with AI is the, the fact that it has been more creative applications or that's people are using it in those generative ways rather than thinking that it would just be like menial jobs or doing like these task orientated stuff. I think that's what people thought it was going to do. And that's what's surprising people. And I think that also that argument that it's drawing the data from everything that's out there, like in terms of creative content and creative property, like, I think that's a very valid argument. I don't know entirely what to make think uh, to think about it because when I make work, I certainly am influenced by all the inspiration that I, like the things that excite me and all the other shows and the works and I'm pulling like things from those ideas. And I'm thinking about those things when I'm making stuff. I think AI is kind of doing that in a, in a sort of similar way. Um, but where I, so that's it in terms of its creative application. Um, where I think where it's actually kind of exciting in a small way is I think it's an equalizer as well. I think when we talk about institution and how institution creates art and stuff and the administrative models and stuff for small creators or small makers, I think it has an ability to suddenly make it competitive um, because, you know, your AI can, can take some of the workload of the administrative or the, some of the producing workload. Um, and I think that is interesting because I feel like there is a, I think there is a, a, um, a leveling that needs to kind of happen in some ways. And, and if that's a tool that sort of can take a small, small, like, like small group or a small artist and, and, and make them competitive with something much bigger, I think, why not that part of it? I just used a, uh, free AI image generator I found online. I think it's, Microsoft Bing generator or something, but to create single art for an upcoming <laughs> song we're putting out. And usually you, no one even mentions like the single art, like it's not a big thing, but I posted a picture of this and everyone's like, that's amazing. And who made this? And I'm like, well, a little bit of me, a <laughs> little bit of AI. Like, I, and, and how did you feel about that? I'm like, I was going to, I was creating it myself anyway, and I'm not a good graphic designer. So it's, help me and it wasn't like i just hit create an image for single art like i've created the prompts and did a bunch of them and altered things slightly and so i'm still kind of at the helm of the the direction here and it, it does feel a little weird because maybe this would have been someone i paid in the past to do this but when when i didn't have whatever $200 to pay a graphic designer to create this, this item it, and the responsibility falls on me. If I can use a tool that's going to make it better than I can make it myself and something that people actually resonate with, like why not, I guess, but yeah, there, there is a, a bit of grappling with it because again, that's, that's could be someone's job out there. And in this case, I was going to be doing it myself, so I just wanted to experiment with it. And I also created a t-shirt design, and I'm like, this is way better than what I would 
creating uh, affinity designer. So like, I'll, I'll go with this. Yeah. It's interesting for that reason, you know? And so that's why it's, I think that's why it's super curious. Cause yeah. it, and it's not like maybe if you had those resources, then you'd, you know, get the graphic designer and, yeah. and do it. And, but that's, to me, I find that, I think that's super interesting. Like that you have the. It's, I want to show you the image here. <laughs> it is, it but there is pretty were, cool. like you say, Mike. There were so many people that commented on this is such a beautiful image, and 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 then there were another set of people that would say, "I hope this isn't generated by AI," and I think it's out of protection for the artist. But yeah, look, like, the I mean, end result, I mean, that's is, really great. Yeah, it's so detailed. Like for someone to actually create that in their own, and all those little details would take forever. Like, so it's, yeah, some people, yeah, that better not be AI, not better not be, but like, I hope it's not AI. Like, well, I guess I wonder, like, you know, it's, is, does it come back to this conversation about authentic or inauthentic? Like, is that why we have that intuitive response to it? Because something's unfamiliar. So we, you know, do we struggle with that? And that's why we have that kind of relationship to it. Cause we feel like somehow it's inauthentic or we're being mm. inauthentic. Um, I don't know, but I, I don't know. What do you think? It's 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 a fine line, and and where it's at now, like you're saying, it's not it's not sentient that we know of. It's not able to do things that it likely will be able to do in ten or twenty years. But where it's at now, where yeah, it can a creative person can use it as a tool to just make things maybe a little bit better, or just aid your process, or make it a little bit quicker. Like when you're an independent musician doing all the things yourself, like having a having a buddy on the internet who can just craft something for you is amazing. Like that's uh, saves you time and energy. And well, this this is a just a, like you know the there is this uh, vision that the these philosophers had in the '60s, like you know the situationists, and they talk about this idea that part of it is all of leading towards, or well, they saw the idea that it's about giving people and society more leisure. You know, mm-hmm. and so it's interesting to think about how I know they weren't. I don't think AI was on their radar, yeah, yeah. but it's interesting. You know, does it free up more time for you to live life more, or yeah. does it like, or does it just add more tasks? You know, or it makes you want to do more. But I think that's what's because it's like, you know, if you're not, you know, working hard to figure it out yourself, then how you, do you get to spend time doing other things? I, I would argue that's most people's challenge with is technology good or bad like yeah. really simplifying it into because you're right we we have quote conveniences that we've developed cell phones being one of them i, I think originally the idea was that this is going to free up time this is going to make our lives more efficient and easier and connected and in lots of ways and for lots of people that may have backfired or looks differently than what that original intent was meant to be so the argument i think could still be made for ai that yes like is this creating efficiencies in your life i now more have time to create music this is the thing i'm good at and really want to put my energy mm-hmm. into i i appreciate that some are, are challenging ai from the creative perspective of who owns this are you taking work away from somebody else like is this really you do you deserve credit but there's also this really uh receptive way of this is a beautiful thing you made people love this image and and so there's you're creating this joy and happiness and positivity is that wrong? Does it matter who owns it then? Like there's just, I think this is the part of the growing in technology. We're not there yet. 
Like we haven't collectively decided what our values are around it. And like that part of it still hasn't yet developed. We're because we're humans. We have to make these emotional decisions now. That's where that intersect, I think, is happening with you even making that first single post. There's a divide. It's it's weird because like having a computer is a tool. Is it no fair? Is it unfair that if I have a computer and someone else doesn't, and I'm able to do do things that they can't? Like it's it's no different than just treating it as another another tool in our toolbox. You know, it's right. uh, and that's that's kind of why I'm trying to not say like stay up to date or be be ahead of the curve or whatever but i just want i want to be able to use what's available to me because other people are going to be using it as well and when it starts to get into ai creating songs that's going to be a little bit different i think but it's the same premise it's just how each individual feels about it Mm -hmm. yeah and i like the example dustin you use with landline i've been a participant in that show and texting with a human being on the other end of that but it's no less of your concept or your show to have the 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 person or the the conversation happening on the other end with technology it's actually just making it more available to more people mm-hmm. which is a i think a great thing about it mm-hmm. well and i mean in something like landline i think it gets into your imagination that there's a human being on the other side of it when it's just tech, like I th- that, that part goes missing. But what's interesting with AI, though, is if you can crack that same conversation and it says something that you don't expect or whatever, like it can. That also has a way of igniting your imagination and believability. But that, I mean, in those instances, it's kind of theater. It's still like this idea of suspension of disbelief, right? Can can you create that suspension of disbelief? And to me, the idea of like being a creator that has some of that means of control of a production, I think. To me, I find that really, I think that's exciting. I think it is exciting from a point of view of, again, how does it, how do you compete with bigger, like, with like bigger labels or whatever that looks like for music? I'm entirely sure. But that to me is what it feels like. Cause I feel like there's so many, like, like there's so many things that like the artists, sometimes I feel like in our, in sort of in the Canadian cultural context, I feel like the artist is usually at the bottom of this chain i think there's like people there's a lot of jobs that are surrounding and you know that need that you know that need the art but the art itself isn't it's hard to make it is a job so you know how do we you know eliminate some of that at least you know Mm -hmm. that's what that's to me where where the exciting part is but like i guess i wonder when you say the thing about like when you say like until they when they start writing songs i guess there's a part of me that wonders like, I think people are so adaptable. Like, I feel like, I wonder what happens though when it does, like, does that change the way what we write about Does to change the sound of what we write about? Does it like, is there something about, does it make it then the emphasis on live performance then suddenly because mm-hmm. that AI can't do that. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I guess I'm just thinking about loud cause I'm like, I'm just wondering this idea of when, if it closes off something, does it open up something else? I don't know. It's, it's fascinating is ultimately what it is just, uh, to know we're kind of on the the cusp of a lot of things that will change. And I think a lot for the better, but just, just to be living in this time and see where this goes to me is exciting. And 
I think I think it's a really good conversation to have with people too, just to see what people's opinions are. Like it's because there's you're not right or wrong. Like if you think AI shouldn't exist because it's taking away from the real creative people, like that's fine. But if you say, yeah, it's a awesome tool we can use to get more stuff out there and give more people opportunities. Like that's fine too. Like it's, it's, you can have an opinion on it and I can agree with either one, but at the end of the day, it's just, it's just an opinion. And I think this is inevitable that it's going to happen. So I think being able to, adapt with it is, is necessary in my eyes yeah and i mean and how much have you been actually using it in smaller ways the entire time yeah right. like like i had like i remember having a grant officer call me in once because in a final report i had bad grammar and so there was like over a hundred like circles and stuff on this final report of like oh and it had like all these grammar notes and stuff on it which was a bit unbelievable and and their sort of like statement at that point is that i should be hiring someone one of their friends, you know, I should be hiring this person to help me write my grants or write these reports. And, and I was like, I don't have the money to, to, to pay someone yeah. to do that. So I got Grammarly, <laughs> like, yeah. so, you know, I don't know if it catches all of it, but that's a kind of, of my, my point is, is that if you're going to get judged by that and then I add that tool, it's kind of like, it's already kind of an AI. It's correcting all my, yeah. what it perceives as my bad, any grammar use that I'm using. Um, and just think about all those other little ways we're being assisted. So yeah. that's the part I feel like that when people start talking about the AI, they they're quick to forget that we're we've been using these modifications and a lot. And yeah, they're just getting more advanced now. Yeah. 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 We did an artist residency in Columbia last year, and we're fortunate enough to meet a lot of the local Colombian communities. People come in and watch shows or participate in some way. My Spanish is okay, but we were able to have fulsome, deeper conversations with people using Google Translate. Yeah. And it's like, the question then becomes, well, should you be completely bilingual in order to appropriately have a conversation with people in other cultures and countries? Or do you use this tool to have a human connection? Like mm -hmm. that, that too is just another example that I'm just thinking of now with what you're, the argument you're making. Yeah, I think the the like the question is gonna that's gonna be coming on a social way is just like if we if it does displace jobs, then does the market take care of itself and open up new jobs, or do we have to think about things like basic incomes, like you mm -hmm. know, and these kinds of questions, which I you know are are kind of big questions, but I you know I've I've thought you know a little bit about even this concept, even in art when it moves into art, you know, should there be artist basic incomes and what, what does that look like and how would that work? And, and the, that also then takes us to like these kinds of relationships that, you know, the public, like, what does the public think about that? And, you know, that's, it gets complicated, but mm -hmm. um, I think that's kind of, it's interesting to think that that's what AI, the AI conversation is driving is some of those broader social questions. Um, Cause that's is to me where the implications, even for artists, like, you know. Well, and, and politically speaking, being able to do, an evaluation, say, say on a, a war that's happening and being able to go through using AI to go through and evaluate, it doesn't come down to uh, the opinion of one elected person with a lot of power that could have corruption, that could have, you know, something ha else happening in these circumstances. It kind of makes this objective decision for us, which, again, we could argue this all day. But mm -hmm. there are a lot of places in the world that have been 
stuck with the same kind of dictatorship for 20 years. And this is a way to kind of prove that, no, this is not the correct approach here if you analyze all the data. Now, you could also say that it's removing emotion, and that's an important part to decision making on the political landscape. But yeah, there's there's pros and cons here. But at a certain point in time, who's to say that AI won't have emotion? Well, that too. Yeah. We're not there yet. Well, there is a little toggle that you can move back and forth. Volume <laughs> <laughs> up is, and down. There is in the model. Oh, wow. So uh, if you wanted to have emotion, just there you go. toggle it to the right. <laughs> a, little more, a little more tears. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's a fascinating time to be alive, though. Jesus. Yeah. So what's uh, what's coming up for you, Dustin? What's what do you have on your to do list? Well, we're so we're making an so there's a new show, um, and the next thing that's in the calendar is we're like taking and doing a work in progress showing in Calgary at the High Performance Rodeo, and this is the a work that I you know basically it was kind of stalled during the ta- the pandemic. It was a piece that I it was a VR. It was initially a VR film that uh, I was developing with the National Film Board. And then it was one of those pieces that kind of just got stuck and didn't come back online. And so I was working on, you know, Alone Together, the AI piece and, uh, you know, had it on the back burner, but have decided to kind of bring it back and try it. It's essentially a choreography for an audience. So, you know, you can expect to sort of like when you walk in on it, see a group of people moving around a stage. Those people are kind of transfixed by their phones moving around the stage. And if you look at it a certain kind of way, they sort of look like a flock of birds moving around. Um, or they're certainly moving in a flocking sort of behavior. Uh, and that's what it looks like from the outside. But on the inside, it's a, uh, you're, you know, you're following a video guide that has a bunch of poetry typography in it and is, has a soundscape of, of, an, of an ocean that's that's kind of chasing you and has poetry from Sue Goyette and music from Rich O'Coin. And it's this really overwhelming sort of experience for the audience on the inside. And that's kind of the point so that the audience on the outside doesn't really know about the crisis that's happening on the inside until they're the ones that are stuck in the middle of it. And we just repeat it over and over until we're, there's no audience left or we're forced to leave the venue. And that's kind of the metaphor that I'm playing around with that mm. piece as a, as a metaphor for climate action. <laughs> brilliant so so the idea so we're taking so that's will be a so right now we're we were even devising yesterday um on an iterative test and we'll be back in on december for some more testing and then we'll take it to to calgary and we'll see what happens we have money for the next phase after that or i have some money to to do some uh, hopefully a digital like digital prototype is the idea i don't know if we're going to make the big vr film because when it was nfb it was a huge budget and it would take me years to raise that budget. So mm-hmm. I think we're probably going to be doing much more of a lo-fi version. Um, but um, I'm hoping that that's the piece that we will be working on through 24 and start touring near the middle to end of 24. And um, then there's a brand, there's a piece, an early concepting piece that uh, that we just started sort of like early concepting about, which is this around, I won't talk about it too much because I really believe in early ideas of, keeping things in the cave. Mm-hmm. But the one thing I will say about it, because it's this kind of conversation makes me think of it, is that often I think about the vocation. My vocation is like writing grants and trying to get shows. And so that's my vocation. My vacation is working, getting in studio and working. And so I'm interested in that kind of theme, but I thought about this idea of that's true. Well, then I'm, in order to really t- t- to have a, a vacation, I need to make a show. And so it's a show 
calling holiday. And so I don't know, I don't want to share too much about what the premise of it is, but it is this idea that <laughs> in order to go on a holiday, we have to actually like make it. So we're going to make a holiday and make a show around that. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> we talked a little bit about this one at our last board meeting. And uh, yeah, holiday. This <laughs> is just going to be Dustin Harvey's holiday. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we talked about you just sitting in a room with your suitcase and <laughs> that being the show. But the, the other one, but I should say, Awake and Still Drowning is the name of the other one. So if folks want to check it out and keep an eye open for it, because that's the piece that um, I'm really uh, I'm really excited about because I feel like it's a piece that has been coming back and and like it feels like it wants to be made. So that's why we're making it. And so, you know, keep an eye open for it. So how can people find all these? shows and events and when they're happening the best way is probably the going to the website so it's exosecret.org that's the company the organization website yeah. and so we kind of will have a bit of information on there the most immediate stuff the stuff that gets updated the most is probably on instagram yeah and that's just exosecret theater and that's a posting often often posting pictures of the touring that we're doing or yeah. whatever the installs are but and now we'll usually announce through there and you have some examples on YouTube of your pieces that we could share? Yeah, on YouTube and Vimeo, there's a, a lot of the stuff's on Vimeo. And I think on Vimeo, we're even just Secret Theater, I think is the okay. channel. We'll post all those links and we can have a view. Great. Right on. That was a fun chat, Dustin. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I, I, did, I hope we got to some some real information oh, there. Yeah. I feel like we could spend a lot more hours together. I just yeah, I, you're just somebody who I mean, we've known each other for a long time. We've worked together. I sit on your board, but I, I I'm always just very you're the person that often comes up in other conversations where I use you as an example of somebody who's doing something interesting or who has inspired me that I consider a mentor. So it's a it's a real honor to just sit and dig a little bit deeper today. Thanks. <laughs> Cheers, folks. <laughs> we'll be back soon. <laughs> the introduction. Here we go. We made it. Another introduction. Let's hear about all your stuff coming up. Well, I got a song coming out November 24th. If you're listening to this on the day of the release, it is in two days. Very exciting. Yeah, brand Such new a cool song. song. We'll play it in... Uh, Maybe the next episode or something. Yeah, we'll play it next week. Yeah. But in the meantime, it can be found on all the Spotify's and Apples. Yeah, and follow us on wherever you listen to music, and the song will be will be out shortly. And yeah. are you playing that song at your December eighth show? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of part of why we're having the show single release party. Nice. So December eighth at the Marquee, you've yeah. got Elise Aaron, Jackson Weldon, and Skunk Motel joining you yeah. for that bill. You got new T-shirts exclusive to show yes. sales. Yeah. So lots of reasons to be there. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. Good. And I'm hosting Hearts of Kin, previous podcast. Kate Bretoners. Guests, Heart. Yeah, Kate Breton sisters. They'll be at Togetherland on December second. That's a Saturday night. So we'd love to see you out for that show too. Awesome. Well, grab your tickets to both shows, folks, and uh, we'll, we'll see you soon. Thanks for tuning in.